0: Hey there, team. Today on After Hours Radio, we've got We Are Next founder Natalie Kim in to talk about how junior talent can be using her platform as a resource for gathering advice, insight, and tools from all over the advertising industry. We Are Next was created to support young talent at a critical point in their careers, while giving the industry an outlet to pass along its advice, perspectives, and guidance as they navigate their way into the industry. In 2015, Natalie got her start as director of strategy for First Born New York, working with brands like Coca Cola, L'Oreal, and HBO, and was named by the drum as one of the 70-plus women of color who should be speaking at marketing conferences. Today, Natalie is reaching a global audience through her weekly newsletters and We Are Next podcast and is passionate about mentorship, diversity of voices, and access for all. All right. So welcome, Natalie Kim. This is After Hours. We're super excited to have you here. Natalie came and spoke to our group last night at our workshop um, to talked about a bunch of different topics in terms of how to feel prepared um, going into this industry as there was a lot of seniors in the room and even underclassmen who are ready to get started. And that's sort of a common theme in the school is everyone's really amped up at an early age. So we're super excited to be able to talk more in depth today from what you talked about yesterday. Um, Some topics she hit yesterday, um, standing out as an applicant, your professional online presence, making connections in the industry and then nailing your interview. So we'll recap a little bit, but, um, essentially we would love to just dive into how you kind of got your start and we are next to how they got that got it started as well. So we can start with that. Cool. Well,
1: thank you guys for having me. This is so exciting. I, I've only actually been on like a couple other podcasts before. I know I did my podcast, but as a guest, I have limited experience. So it's always fun to be on the other side. I um, mean, you guys have a really nice setup. No one can see, but the <laughs> setup in here is like really legit. So I'm really impressed. Thank no, you. um... So to your first question, how I got my start. So I went to UCLA and I was a mass communication studies major. Um, UCLA doesn't have sort of a dedicated advertising and marketing program for the undergraduate level. So mass comm was sort of the closest thing I could do, but it was a lot more sort of media theory. Um, It You know, span journalism as well. So it wasn't as specific as I probably would have liked, but it did give me a good, you took all the like theologies, like anthropology, sociology, psychology, you know, linguistics, that kind of thing. And so it gave you really a nice, kind of background on like how to think and process information and look at the world, which I've always been grateful for. Though at the time I was like, why isn't there something like specific to what I want to do? Um, but I was heavily involved in the uh, Bruin mark- advertising and marketing team um, or ad team, which is the NSAC team. I know there's a team here at University of Oregon shout out as well. Team. Yeah, shout out to ad team. Um So uh, that was a huge part of my undergraduate experience because at UCLA, it's a club, not a class. So you can do it for multiple years. So I did it for three years and it was really like the bulk of my portfolio or my resume when I graduated. Um, And I did a couple internships like throughout college. Obviously, even back then it was very important. Um, I interned at a couple of PR firms and really quickly found out that PR really wasn't the side of the industry I wanted to get into. Um, and then did an internship at Deutsch uh, in Los Angeles. I was an account management intern on the TGI Fridays account. Funny, Yeah. And when I graduated, I, I guess I didn't really know what part of the industry I wanted to be. And again, like not having not had the classes that you guys have here where it's like, here's a clear picture of what each role does and what it entails and why you might be good for it. Right. I, you know, kind of had what I could see from the outside. And so, and I had done some work in account management. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to continue down this track. Um, and I started interning at a very small agency called goodness manufacturing in Los Angeles. It was five ex Crispin Porter and Bogusky, like VP creative directors who had come and set up shop in Venice, California. We worked out of this little converted house, which was so fun. It was a very like startup-y feel when, when I started my career there. Um, and as soon as I stepped through the doors and started getting my hands on work, I was like, oh, actually, this thing called strategy is really where, um, you know, what gets me excited about being in advertising. It feels more natural in terms of the way that my mind works and like who I am
2: naturally. Were people telling you that like, Hey, you should try this out and like you're thriving here.
1: Um, it was more, it was less directed than that. It was more because it was such a small shop. And because, um, meaning that everyone had their hands and kind of everything, it wasn't okay. as kind of like siloed where it's like, oh, you're only doing this kind of work because there were so little people. It's like, inevitably, I started doing a little bit more what would be considered strategy work and then really gravitated to what I was doing there versus feeling like a little bit uncomfortable with some of the work that I was doing on the account management side. I think it was like, I could do the work. And if I pushed myself, I could be Pretty good at being account manager, but it just felt a little bit unnatural to me. And mm-hmm. I'm not sure if I'm an, I'm enough of a people person to be honest. To, <laughs> it takes <a> lot. <laughs> to uh, yeah to interface with clients on like that level. Um, even though you do it as a strategist as well. Um, so yeah, that was really my entry into the industry. I did was able to make the transition to strategy um, more fully when I moved to New York a couple of years later. That's really where like my strategy career took off and, and
0: yeah, and then kind of went from there. That is so exciting. How did you know you wanted to take the jump to New York? I
1: felt very strongly about New York and it came very suddenly. So New York was always one of those places when i was actually in high school and you know applying to colleges i had this vision for myself about going to new york or at least going to the east coast you know i grew up in california i wanted something different I had this dream of like, you know, the Ivy League, like sure. liberal arts education. I thought, and especially for New York, I was like, college would be a really great opportunity and excuse to like go to somewhere new for four years. And it's just, you know, it's not permanent. You can try it out. It didn't work out that way in terms of like applications and getting <laughs> in. Um, so I stayed in California for school, but I always felt a very strong pull to New York outside of the fact that it is still the biggest market for advertising and marketing in the States. But just the energy, uh, and the pace of the city really drew me in. And after a couple years in LA, um, which were great, I started to feel a little bit stagnated just that I, you know, I had a great job. I, you know, had a lot of friends. I was like in a great relationship at the time. And despite that, I just felt very kind of like listless. I think it's a, it's actually a, a form of like depression, but it doesn't manifest as like deep sadness. It manifests as like just apathy for what's going on. And your emotions are kind of like tamped down. Like you just don't really feel anything anymore, which is crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I felt like both from a career, career perspective and a sort of life perspective and personal perspective that I just wasn't growing in the way that I wanted to. And so I always tell people you can't plan for these big moves all the, you know, a lot of the times you just kind of wake up one day and you're like, okay, I think this is something that I, I feel very strongly that I have to do. Um, so I quit my job and I actually went to Spain for the summer to do like a, um, it was like a trends boot camp, like weird summer class in Spain. Just like, again, just change a the scenery. Um, and then from there, move made the move to New York um, just because, I don't know, I almost feel like I didn't have a choice really. I just was feeling like I had to pull myself out of where I was physically to, you know, continue to grow as a person. It's that inner gut feeling yeah. in you that said you had to. Yeah. Totally. Totally. And I I moved without a job, which was very scary. It wasn't by choice. I, I mentioned <laughs> this yesterday at the workshop, but, you know, when you apply remotely, even with a couple of years experience under your belt, I think it's very hard for agencies to take you seriously. Um, If you haven't already located or you've just made a very strong indication that you are actually going to move because investing sort of the time in interviewing you and, you know, looking at you as a candidate and then to have you, you know, not actually move is sort of a waste of agency's time and stuff like that. So I was getting very little response when I was applying from LA. So I decided that it was worth moving. I was fortunate enough and privileged enough to, you know, have a relative, a cousin who lived in New York already. So I literally stayed on her couch for the first month um, as I was like going around town looking like crazy. But it did, even though it was kind of rough and, and scary at first, it did open up so many more doors than than I had when I was trying to do it from Los Angeles. So yeah, and then it it ended up working out. Like I thinking back I'm like that's kind of crazy that you just bought a one-way ticket and then it just was like,
2: "All right, I'm doing this." Oh, you probably felt so alive though at the time cuz you're like, "Ooh, this is very different from when I was in LA."
1: Yeah, yeah. Everything's new. I mean, New York is one of those places if you have if you're drawn toward it, I'm always such a proponent of people trying it out. I mean, it doesn't have to be forever, but for me, it did push me in the right ways, you know? And like I said, in terms of growth as a person, it really helped me sort of step into my own as, as Natalie, not only as a strategist, but also just as a fully formed being, obviously we're always growing and we're always evolving, but I think that was a huge step in kind of my personal growth, just being there.
0: That's so cool. I feel like, too, because we've had a few alumni who have kind of made that jump, who have said, I'm just going to couch hop until I, you know, get a place. And I feel like in one way it it really forces you to step out of your comfort zone in terms of having more of those one-on-one? Do you feel like you? it really forced you to build those in-person connections and really do those, you know, informal interviews at coffee shops? And since you're there, you know, it's that, that bond and that connection that you can make in person, I think, is something really unique when you are in the city. Do you feel like you took advantage of that while you were there? I think I
1: did. I you know, didn't have a huge network when I first moved to New York. I mean, I knew a handful of people maybe from high school who had come, had, you know, ended up in the city and, Um, So I sort of leveraged those connections that I had and tried to have people set me up with their coworkers as well, um, which was an effective strategy. Just again, those informational interviews, I think you don't even have to call them that, but those like kind of casual conversations that you end up having are so valuable, not only to get someone else's perspective on, you know, how they navigated their career and what they do, but also just it's good kind of interview practice because it's like you're very relaxed. Those conversations are always the best. Whereas like when it's an actual interview and there's like a job on the line, we sort of kind of tighten up into ourselves. Yeah, Yeah. And it's hard to really relax and show who you are. So I'm always so encouraging of people to take advantage of those opportunities to do informational interviews because, and you never, you really never know where it leads. Um, When I moved to New York, one of the informational interviews that got set up for me turned into a job just because I went in, they, they liked me and they said, well, we don't have a full-time opportunity right now, but we have a pitch we're working on. We could use an extra hand on the strategy side. Do you want to like come freelance for, you know, a month or so? And then we can see kind of thing. And it ended up turning into my first like full-time job in New York. So so cool. Yeah. (laughs) You never know. You never know. So I always say yes to those.
2: Love that.
0: Do you have a question? Yeah.
2: Um, so I kind of want to get into like um how you transitioned into We Are Next. So like what were the signs? They were like, "Hey, something's missing." When did the light bulb go off? And then when did you make the first move? And you're like, "I'm going to do this." Yeah, it's a funny story
1: because I think my path to We Are Next started way before I even realized I was on that path. Oh, I love that. <laughs> so when I was working in the industry, and I talk about this pretty openly in my talks when I talk with students, I I loved what I did. I was challenged. I was interested. I, you know, had so many amazing relationships, bosses like around me with my coworkers. Despite all that, I would question every once in a while, especially when things were like really stressful, Whether advertising was meaningful enough as a career path for me to like continue on, you know, even if you're interested, you love it, you think it's really cool and exciting, like that's all great. But when things are really frustrating and they get frustrating when you work in advertising, (laughs) it's inevitable. I feel like you have to have a, a deeper reason why you work in advertising and everyone will have a different reason. And your reason might change, but I feel like I didn't have a good enough reason along the way. And so I was kind of periodically and continually questioning whether or not I should be exploring other career paths. And not that I wanted to, you know, join a nonprofit or like go save the world or anything like that. It was just this feeling like, is what I'm putting my time and energy to worth my time and energy, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think it's an important question for anyone to ask. Mm-hmm. It, the only time in my career where those questions stop, finally stopped was when I started growing younger strategists on my team. So when I started being in charge of bringing on interns and kind of managing their growth, when I, um, you know, turning them into junior strategists and, you know, helping them along that path. And I started to think more about people's experience within the agency itself. So, yes, you come to work and you work hard and you work with other people, but how are you making those hours not just great for the work and the, our clients, but for you as a person, like how you spend so much time at work, like we should right. be making this a really fulfilling and rich experience for everyone. When I started thinking about that and making that more a priority alongside all the work that you do, you know, for clients and stuff, I finally, those questions finally quieted. Cause I felt like I had found that deeper meaning that I didn't even know I was looking for right along the way. Um, in my role as director of strategy, I started doing a lot of guest lecturing. So I started getting invited to schools and University of Oregon was one of the first that I came to. Woo. Woo.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we <laughs> think, thought she went to UO.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's a very, it's It's a very common misconception <laughs> because I've been coming here since 2015 now, which is crazy. Um, wow. So I started getting invited to come to classes and, and talk about strategy, but also advertising and just that one-on-one interaction with students, you know, through the Q&As, people coming up afterwards, not only did I just love it in terms of how it made me feel. But I started to notice that students were so, um, anxious and sort of confused and full of self-doubt and fear about going into advertising and marketing, you know, various levels, obviously some people feel it more than others, but it's pretty consistent across the board when you talk with students, no matter what school they go to, what kind of program they're in. Um, everyone, even the people who go to portfolio programs. I mean, I talk with a lot of them even today. And it's that same feeling of, I don't know what's coming. I can't see a clear career path for myself because this industry changes so much. Um, And everyone gets in a different way. Every agency does things a little bit differently. So it makes it really tough to understand what your path is going to be. So I... I started to perceive this and I was like, okay, this is a thing. I looked at the industry and I was like, what is being provided right now to help students and young talent during this like really critical time in their career where they're just starting out and breaking in. And it was, limited at the time to sort of one-on-one internship, uh, sorry, one-on-one mentorship programs and uh, internship pipeline programs. So, you know, bringing in interns for the summer and hopefully transitioning that to a full-time role. Um, And those are awesome and so necessary for our industry, but inherently they don't scale to benefit everyone who needs it, no matter where you are in the country or what you qualify for, or what you can afford, quite frankly. So I wanted to make a resource that was accessible and open to all students and all young talent, no matter where they were in the country, or again, what they qualify for, what they could or could not afford. And that's really where the seed of where next, the idea for where next came from. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't, didn't have anything to do with me not being satisfied with working in advertising. Um, I think that's a common misconception when people see that I've left to do We Are Next, they think, okay, well, she wasn't getting something from the agency world. And so she started wanting to do her own thing. It honestly wasn't even something I was thinking about actively as We Are Next while I was working in the agency world. I moved from New York to Los Angeles in 2016. And, you know, had to leave the agency that I was at. I had to leave Firstborn just because they only have a New York office. And so I was in this period of my own career where had, there was a break. You know, I hadn't, I wasn't looking for a new job yet. And I started publishing the newsletter almost as just something to do because I had more time. And I felt like these questions that I get in, like the F, like the question and answer sessions when I go to schools, that I should be sharing that information out instead of just keeping it to, you know, this classroom or that classroom at a specific school. And that's where the weekly email started. And it just took off from there because I think there was this unmet need for so long um, that, you know, this information and content people were looking for, students all over the country were looking for. And so I felt very quickly once it took off that, okay, this is something that needs to exist and that doesn't exist right now. And so I decided to commit full-time to it. And it's almost was like, not forced upon me because I, I love what I do, but it was just a very clear signal from students and young talent that like, Hey, like we need this stuff and no one is doing it right now. And so the jump was kind of like, I guess, why not me? <laughs>
0: <laughs> if not no one. Yeah. Right? Me, right.
1: And, and what's great is that building where an has been building more of a platform for other people to share their advice. It's not meant to be like, this is the Natalie show. And I'm just <laughs> like, giving you all of my advice. This is it. But we love the Natalie shows. (laughs) Um, Obviously my perspective gets in there, but it's more like I'm editor in chief of this larger platform where people all over the industry are sharing their own advice in a way that's easy for them to do. I mean, people are so busy on, you know, people who are working full time are so busy. So we try to make it really easy for them to to do it, whether it's through writing a guest email or coming on our podcast um, or posting a job. So yeah, that's, that's really how the leap happened. It was sort of very organic. I never thought that I would be, I guess, an entrepreneur. I'm making air quotes because I still Mm -hmm. don't feel like it, but I guess an entrepreneur is just someone who has an idea and then puts it into action. And so Mm -hmm. in that sense, I am, but I really just, I feel like I'm figuring it out as I go along. I mean, there's no, I mean, there is a plan, but there's no kind of like master vision that's driving
0: everything as, as weird as that sounds. Which I have to butt in and say that I think that's what makes it so successful is that it is organic and it is authentically you. And it is authentically these voices that are helping it make it what it is. I think that the imperfections of mm-hmm. it are what make it so awesome and what make it relatable because we all know we're imperfect. And especially at a student age, you kind of have to accept the fact that you're not perfect. And we all talk about this idea of, you know, especially if you're going to apply to internships, that it's, it's okay to talk about the things that you don't know. And we talk, you talk a lot about, you know, this learning period of take the advantage of this time that you are the new person or that you don't know. And I I love that because I think that it's so true that, you know, this is your biggest opportunity to ask questions and Mm -hmm. and whatnot. So little side note, but yeah. yeah. Um, how many hours a week do you spend working on We Are Next? We have to ask. <laughs>
1: um, it's a pretty full time job, I will say, though, I think as someone as a I guess a solopreneur. So We Are Next is all pretty much all me. Shout out to Jesse Summers, though, who is a Duck a duck <gasps> alum. Ooh, go Ducks. Who helps me on social. He helps source some of the content that We Are Next shares on Twitter specifically. He's great at finding articles and stuff that other people have written that are helpful. Awesome. So anytime you see us share <laughs> articles by other um, publications or blogs, um, it's usually Jesse who's gone on find that. So anyways, I had to just shout him out because he does help me. But mostly, for the most part, it's just me. And so it does take um, pretty much all of my time, <laughs> but I will say I I have found it to be not as difficult to maintain, I guess, a work-life balance being my own boss. I guess I think some people, you go one of two ways, I guess. It's like you start your own thing and because it's your baby and you're so passionate about it, you work like so many hours all the time on it and you just can't turn it off. I feel like I've gotten pretty good at putting boundaries on my day. So it's kind of still like a normal work day. Um, And because I work for myself, I feel empowered to make it fit with my lifestyle. Like I, we, my husband and I wake up really early. So we start working early, but I personally, you know, our dog eats at like 5 PM and that, and then we take her for a walk. And that's sort of like the end of my working day. Right. Yeah, and yeah. I might also think about where next, obviously in the background, but in terms of like actively producing our content and stuff, that being said, you know, like I, I still work on Sundays because a lot of our content launches the beginning of the week. So I have to make sure that it, you know, is ready right. kind of thing. So but I would say it's a pretty normal, but full time like work week. Um, yeah, it you know there's it's sort of a balance between the producing the actual content we put out every week, right? So there's like that production cycle that goes on totally. the email, the podcast, refreshing the job board, that kind of thing. But then there's that longer term: what are we building next? Who are we working with from a partner agency? You know, other collaborator perspective. And all these other things that are more like on the how do we keep we are next going and sustainable and free for everyone side that that has been taking up more of my time these days. <laughs> um, it's the part that's trickier for me, but, you know, it is sort of so necessary to kind of keep things going. But, yeah, it's, it is a full time job.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. We appreciate you for it. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs>
2: um, so we wanted to ask, like, how do others sc- sorry, how do other um advertising okay. schools compare to when you go out and talk? Like, are they receiving it? How are they receiving it? How are we all different as students?
1: Hmm. I think the reception has been pretty similar across the board, I will say. No matter what kind of program it is, I think, students are just very grateful for this other layer of support outside of what they get from schools or clubs. And it will vary again between schools. Some schools like have no funding and they're just really thankful that there is a resource that they can access to make career guidance, I guess, more accessible, not to repeat that word over and over again. But um And then there are other schools. Yeah, I mean, the reception has been wonderful. I try to really also listen to what students at different schools are saying their specific challenges are. And that's probably where the difference comes in, in terms of where they are in the country or what their program curriculum looks like. It'll affect kind of what questions they're asking, what information is really most valuable to them, like for example, um, going out to a school that does, you know, agency visits to diff- at different cities, like some schools have crazy programs. I know Yo does a little bit of that, but some schools they'll go to like multiple cities and they take students to Can and like all this stuff. They just wow. like have those resources, right and. Right talking with those students, they might have a little bit more sophisticated understanding of just the industry landscape and- What's going on. Yeah, (laughs) the the, like, you know, some of the agencies themselves since they've visited. And so it doesn't mean that they don't still need guidance, but it looks a little bit different versus a school where, you know, they're not going on those trips. They don't even have money to bring in, you know, speakers on a regular basis or anything like that. So- Are those smaller schools or are those
2: schools like geographically are there just a certain area?
1: It really, it's hard to generalize, honestly. And it'll depend too, because, you know, a lot of the, let's say the state schools, which are huge, you know, it's not like it's a small school, but um, in terms of the funding or the kind of funding they're getting. um, But that doesn't necessarily mean that they don't have resources. They might just like look differently. Like um, there's like a really great... Uh, organization called the American Marketing Association, which is sort of the marketing side of, of the industry. There's both the collegiate chapters and then the sort of professional chapters and, you know, in each city that they exist in. And I've seen some schools with like huge AMA groups. We have a big one in the business school.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And, 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 I've been surprised at the different types of schools that that have those, you know, groups and those or types of organizations. And then other ones, other schools, they sort of made their own groups. I mean, just like after hours, you know, which sure. didn't exist before. And now it's a thing and it's beautiful and it's growing. Um, you know, you see that students really taking the initiative and creating those, I was going to say support groups, but groups, um, you know, on their own. So it, it really is hard to generalize, but it... it really varies in terms of the amount of resources that students will have access to across, across the country, depending, depending on the school and depending on the curriculum.
0: I guess in terms of curriculum, my question is, what can schools be instilling or encouraging if they maybe don't have those programs? Or you know, what are things that teachers can be implicating or things that um, young talent can be learning before they enter the industry?
1: Mm hmm. I think that this what you guys have created with after hours is a great example and not to just but, keep buttering your bread, but <laughs> we'll
0: take it. It's really
1: it really is amazing to see Because again because I've been coming here for the last few years and, you know, seeing a new group kind of form out of where there was nothing before to fill a specific need and to provide specific resources that students are looking for. I think it's one of the best ways for schools without resources to go about that because yes, there are certain costs involved, but if you stripped back what after hours is, you could probably run it on like very little, right? It's more like time and organization. Obviously it's hard work, but I think it's a model that can kind of be replicated um in at different schools that maybe lack the sort of resources that that maybe you even have here at University of Oregon. Um, which is why I get so excited when I see like students kind of creating their own opportunities. Um, I think outside of outside of that, um, it's a really good question because the opportunity to get outside of curriculum is huge. I think where schools fall into traps, to be honest, is and why it's so hard for some schools and academia to sort of keep pace with the way the industry changes because it does change all the time, is this idea of curriculum. And I know you need curriculum because you need to put some structure around what people are learning. But at the same time, it means that you're saying a little bit that, there's only one way to do this thing, right? Which in the creative industry, like advertising, again, is like a little bit of a trap because once you get into the industry, it's like, oh my gosh, there are actually all these all these ways to do this right. thing. And depending on the client or the target audience or your situation, the constraints that you have. So this, this is kind of a non-answer, but I think when we're less reliant on the curriculum and we kind of open up, our mind as to what things can be created that are a little bit more flexible, whether it is bringing in people from the local ad community to talk really about like what they do on a more consistent basis. Yeah, yeah I think it's just an opportunity to get outside of curriculum and to really think about ways that are more flexible in terms of content so that you're able to keep up with all the change that's happening. And, you know, whether that means bringing in speakers, and it could be, you know, remotely through Skype or Hangouts. Now, there's so many ways to to so many free tools that you can use to bring in different perspectives to really talk directly with students about what is this thing that we call advertising. And again, especially if you're doing it remotely, that's not something that that costs anything really. It's just like someone investing their time, you know, from the industry. Um, so yeah, just think again, this this is kind of a non like concrete answer. And I don't know if there's a silver bullet, but in terms of like maybe the way to think about um the type of resources that that schools can be creating or how to approach and fill that fill that gap outside of the classroom and outside of maybe more formal, like inexpensive structures that's that some people put in place.
2: Yeah. Totally.
0: Thank you for giving us such kind words about after hours. Oh, so cool. yes. It's so cool it to hear you so say good. that. It just, it just feeds our motivation. It which really is does. Awesome. And I think what you probably experienced that I think people involved with this program experience here is even just one. Thank you. I didn't feel like I had a space. I didn't feel like I knew what I was doing until I had people, you know, tell me in here and made me feel comfortable and safe. Those are the things that keep us going because we're those, you know, those younger students who it is a navigation. And if you don't know, you know, maybe you're out of state or, you know, you don't really know someone in here yet. I think that I'm finding at least that this is that that's all the gratification I need is just, you know, one person to come up and say, hey, this space is helping me. And it's like, OK, we're going to keep going. Completely. <laughs> Great. It just and I think you feel the same.
1: Yeah, completely. I mean, I have always thought that and this is like something that I think everyone should do, but One, it just goes back to the what I said, one of the things I said last night about like expressing your gratitude, even for like little small things that happen, that feeling on the receiving end and then that motivating you to want to put more energy into building this thing or putting your time towards one person. I think it's such an underutilized tool to sort of keep mentorship relationships going to keep you know organizations like this going to just just show that gratitude and yeah you're right like when I I stress out a lot about kind of the way that the industry perceives we're next or like Mm -hmm. that it's acknowledges it as like a thing, you know, in the industry and not from like a recognition standpoint, but just like we're building this thing that I think before didn't exist in the industry. And that is, is benefiting the industry as a whole. I think it does in the long run, make a lot of impact and thinking about, oh, how do you again, keep wear next free for everyone. There's all this like business behind the Mm -hmm. scenes stuff. But then like when I get messages and I get them frequently, whether it's on LinkedIn or email from users who, you know, say like I found and landed an internship from the job board. I mean, it's such a like a direct, you can see the direct impact even just with one person. And I've always thought I should just like print out all of them messages and like (laughs) keep them in a little jar. And then whenever I'm feeling like really like down or not motivated or just discouraged, I can just like pulling out because <laughs> that's fabulous. That's really like the reminder that we need. Cause yeah, that is yeah. why, you know, why you do it because, because it's helping people. And I think things like this and like after hours who that, um, yes, it's a benefit to you in a certain extent, but it's really for the benefit of other people. I think it's so much easier to sort of maintain motivation for those things, which is what
0: you need when you're building something from the ground up. Absolutely. Well, and even more so that it's not possible without the other people. Yeah. Yeah. It's literally not possible. So.
2: Yeah. I think when she came, when Emily came to me saying like, hey, I have this thing and I was like, Yes. Like that's so needed because I had just finished Creative Strat, mm-hmm. which is the first ad class. And you're like, oh, gosh, what are yeah. we doing? What are we who getting? am I? <laughs> What's happening? Yeah, um, And it was just like, oh, there's so many opportunities. But like, wh- how do I get to know about them? Like, who are these people? What's ad team? What's the Rome? Like there was just so many things happening. It was really overwhelming. And there was, wasn't a platform for me to go and talk to people and say, hey, like, how do I get involved in this? And so that's why we created it because it just fills the void mm-hmm. and it also creates a really really good positive optimistic atmosphere i
0: think casual and, too that's yeah. super yeah yeah stressful. it's not,
2: there's like a there's a great competitive atmosphere here but it's also like we're all so positive towards each other and we want everyone to be their best self yeah. and we push each other in that way and i think after hours is um an opportunity for people to recognize each other's talents which is really exciting that's really wonderful exciting. i love yeah. that um, I have a question for you. Yeah. This is from Deb Morrison. Um, <laughs> describe your creative process. Ooh. <laughs> hmm, okay, I guess I will.
1: Th- I will answer that question based on my creative process now versus like what I did agency side, yeah. um, if that's okay. Um, Absolutely. My creative process really—it's grounded in. First, the values that built We Are Next in terms of making career guidance accessible for everyone. Um, uh, we, we say like making diverse voices the norm, making sure that on our platform we reflect the diversity we want to see in the industry. Um, and then the third is really empowering young talent at the beginning of their careers because We Are Next believes that young talent that's better prepared, more informed and more diverse will make huge ripples of change in the industry. Ripples of change for the better. So I start like the foundation is always those values in terms of what I'm creating, whether it's one piece of content or a new, you know, something that's coming out, a new resource. The second layer of the creative process on top of that is direct feedback from our audience every single resource that we've ever come out with and we launched them one by one so it wasn't all at once it was you know the newsletter first then the podcast then the job board the index um the summer internship master calendar you know so we do it over time and it is really a result of like listening to what students and young talent are asking for and saying that they want and that feedback loop has been so important because i can have an idea you know i'm what now 11 years into my career, I can have an idea of what people might want when they're starting out, but to really hear it directly from people and also have young talent help shape what it sort of looks like. Like, for example, like our job board doesn't look like other job boards. It's not like a hundred jobs all at once. It's a very small amount of jobs, but we refresh it every week. So there's always something new to apply for, which is different from, from other ones. And, I think that in terms of my creative process, that is a huge element. So, you know, that feedback um, outside of that, there is there's definitely um, what I try to think of as like an aesthetic and a tone for We Are Next. I mean, from a brand perspective, we try I try to be pretty consistent and it's not necessarily just my voice. Like, I want to make sure that We Are Next is I think of it as real talk, but reassuring. Like mm. I'm not trying to sugarcoat anything for people in the industry or coddle anyone. At the same time, I know it's stressful already. <laughs> so there's a lot of voices out there in the industry that are like a little bit more cynical, a little bit more like snarky maybe um, for whatever reason. I think it's a, a different generation. But just as you say, were saying about, you know, optimism and that kind of communal spirit I try to infuse that into what um the the things we're putting out whether it is like a graphic or you know a tweet or um again just like a resource overall. So for me I that sounds so formulaic and this is a strategist talking about <laughs> a creative process so that's probably why it's coming out like so formulaic. Um but yeah, those are the sort of things I think about as, as we're creating things. Um, I, I often find these days that I have so many ideas of things that I want to do and want to launch for Wear and Axe. It's almost, it's overwhelming because it's like, a waterfall, especially at night when I'm trying to sleep, there are all these like <laughs> mm-hmm. things popping up. Both things that I know people have said that they wanted. Like we just did our user feedback survey, like the, yeah, in January. I pulled that up. It's so exciting. And yeah, it's a great way. Again, this one of those feedback loops. It's like a just a really awesome way for us to understand like who is using next and what they're really looking for, how they feel about Next. And you know, people have, for the longest time have been asking for like a mentorship program coming out of next And it, I know it's something that I want to build. But again, like thinking about through all those things in the process about how do we make it really unique to where Because next there's a lot of mentorship programs out there. And I don't want to create one that's just the same model as everything else, because they already exist. So thinking about that, and, and all other things I want to launch, and it's sort of trying not to put the cart before the horse, because again, like I'm, I'd like to build a small team. And I know I can't just do everything myself. So anything that I launch has to be balanced with like, okay, is this something I can actually handle and sustain? Because I don't want to launch something and then have it fizzle out because I'm not able to manage it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, with that user survey, I'm curious to ask kind of what you read out of it or if anything kind of like shocking came to you that you weren't expecting or just kind of your reaction to that and what it kind of told you about your audience and who's using it.
1: There were a couple things that, jumped out to me out of the user survey. One, it's funny, every year that we've done it, which has been two years, I guess, that we've done the user survey, the gender ratio always surprises me because it comes back as like a very heavily female audience, like almost like 70%, 30%, right? Both years. And I am so suspicious of it because it doesn't feel like that in terms of, you know, I get a lot of messages from Mm. male users or male identifying users. I'm like, I know that you're there. And I have this like sneaking suspicion. It has something to do with the rate of response. So I feel like females in general are just more willing to like take the time to do the survey. Honestly, if I had to like hypothesize Sure. I mean, it might be that we still have more female than male users, and that's definitely not intentional. Um, our, our content is meant to be very gender neutral in general, while making sure that, you know, women have like an equal and strong voice um, on our platform. Um, so I imagine it's closer to 60-40. (laughs) Excuse me. But that always jumps out to me as interesting. Um, I'm really proud of the fact that our users are everywhere across the country, like all 50 states, which, um, again, just points back to the need, um, that, that people that people feel around this type of content. Um, I'm super proud this year we, for the first time, asked a little bit more questions about kind of who people are, who users are. Um, and our audience came back um, about 50 percent um, identifying as people of color, which is incredible. Very strong uh, Hispanic, Latinx, Asian, I mean, African-American. You know, they all have a piece of the pie in terms of our usership and that means a lot to me because, again, I think from a diversity inclusion inspect uh, perspective, one, it being open and free to everyone automatically, you know, makes our content f- you know for everyone, levels which the levels field. the playing field totally. exactly. No matter, again, no matter who you are, what your background is, and then that second aspect of making sure that people in our audience can see themselves in our content, which is why I'm we're very deliberate. I say we it's me. <laughs> I always say we and then have to qualify it um, that I'm really deliberate about who we're bringing on the podcast, in what order are we bringing people on the podcast or or re- guest writing for us? What type of agencies or type of roles are we putting on the job board so that hopefully there is something for everyone and it's not just all creative roles or like, you know, just New York agencies, that kind of thing. Um, so that I am very proud of. We also had uh, 11% of our audience or responders um, identify as LGBTQ+, plus, which is also mm-hmm. really amazing. We've done a couple special content series around um, that community, the queer ad community as well, which um, I'm really proud of. Um, and let's see. So that's kind of like who a little bit like who our audience is. We also did a section in the user feedback survey about where people want to work and like what companies yeah, they want to work for. Which yeah, this is the first year we did it, and the results were uh, really interesting. The the cities less so, even though like uh, London and the UK came up in the yeah. top ten. Which I know wow. our our international audience is growing slowly, but surely, and I definitely get a lot more requests and questions from people saying, like, what about things in the UK, which I would love to be able to provide to that audience as well, obviously, being US based and the market that I sort of knew, and where most of our users want to work, it's been very North America focused. But I think as that audience continues to grow, hopefully, we can find ways to, you know, serve, make sure that they're getting the information that that they need as well without extending ourselves too much. Right. Um, but um, the companies that people want to work for was super interesting. Not only who made the top 10, but also just we published uh, through the survey. Like if you look at the result shareouts, there is a link that shows a list of every company that was named and we asked people to name the top three. So I made like a secret page on the website that just like has a list of like all the things that um, all the companies people named and the breakdown, and I won't have the specific numbers, but the breakdown of the types of companies was really interesting in terms of, yes, there were very like a heavy percentage named agencies or creative agencies, but there was a healthy contingency of people who want to work at brands as well. Mm-hmm. There were a couple a few brands at the top 10 um, Nike among them. Yeah, so Spotify um, on Spotify, there yeah. Google, interesting. And yeah, and then so tech companies and tech platforms also had a slice of the pie. Uh, publishers as well. We had people um, also wanting to work for, you know, CAA, um, yeah. Time Warner Music. Like it was yeah. a pretty That's wide range wow. of companies. Um, so th- I thought the breakdown was very telling about the shifts that are happening in the industry and the opportunities that really exist for young talent. I do, I'm such a firm believer that there is more choice if we kind of broaden what our definition of working in advertising and marketing is. Um, and I think it helps make the job search feel less competitive because not everyone's trying to go for like the top 10 companies. I mean, some of the top 10 agencies, um, obviously we should shoot for our dreams. And if that's really what you want to do, great. But if you're, not willing to settle, but opening, you know, opening yourself up to these other routes and titles and career paths that maybe were a little bit more unfamiliar to you, I think could lead to like a really amazing, exciting kind of start to one's career. So yeah, those were the things that really jumped out to me out of the survey. It's one of my favorite parts of the year when we get those survey results back. Yeah. Yeah,
2: Cause it's even interesting for everyone else too. Cause I love to see like, yeah, I love to, (laughs) sorry, I keep going in and out of this microphone. Um, (laughs) I love to see what everyone else is doing. Like, Oh, like are
0: people looking at the same things I am or like, who else is looking at this page? Like, Creates a community, I think, Mm -hmm. which is fun. Well, and I think a lot here too, especially being in Oregon, you know, we have the big dogs over here. We had Starbucks start in Portland. We had, uh, we have Wyden and Kennedy, you know, super global office, Nike. Mm -hmm. Yeah, all these things. And so I feel like, It's so awesome to see, you know, spread the wealth a little bit in terms of names, because I think here people do get really caught up in, you know, those top 10 big agency names. And it can once those start filling up it, you feel it in the energy around the school. You're like, You know, it's stressful. It's like, oh, they're all going all the spots are going. But. The reality is that there's so many places. And I think that what's so cool about advertising and marketing is that, yeah, you can either be in brand, you can be out of house, you can Mm -hmm. be, you know, at a startup. Um, I think that's something that we've tried to talk about, too, through After Hours is like there's so many more opportunities than you think. Um, And so it's really cool to have such a big platform, I think, too, with the UK thing you'd be shocked at the amount of people here too that are looking for internships abroad. Mm -hmm. And I think that me too, I think that's something that I've found that there's a lack of, um, is that connection, even though a lot of big agencies have global offices. Um, and I do hear, you know, that you work your way up into those global positions, but in terms of internship, you don't get that very often. So it'd be interesting to see where that connection kind of helps and bridges a little bit. Um, do we have any other specific questions you want to do before um, we
2: I have start some like little in. questions. Yeah. Okay. Do you have any mentors? Oh, that's
1: a good question. I do have mentors. I certainly had mentors when I was, you know, working agency side. I would mm. have said my boss at the time, Eugene Chung, who was the SVP of strategy at Firstborn, was a huge mentor, not just in growing me as a strategist, but really growing me as a manager and a boss and a leader, um, because he brought me on to essentially be his right hand to help grow the strategy team there at the time. And so brought on a lot of people. And again, just, it was very new to me, the experience of being at that level and having to manage people's careers in that kind of more significant way. So he taught me a lot about that. And I think, just in terms of team dynamics and yeah, like getting the best out of people. He taught me a lot there. So um, he was definitely a mentor as, you know, when I was working agency side. Now it's funny because some of my, some of the people that I've met through doing We Are Next have become mentors, which is awesome. Um, one, I guess I'll, sh- I'll shout out is uh, Gia Choi. She's the CEO of Anomalies LA office. And I met her because I was invited to a panel at Anomaly that they did there on like women leaders and what that looks like today. And she, and then invited her on the podcast and she accepted and we had, you know, had a great recording. It's a really good episode. And then since then, one, she's a huge supporter of Wear and Axe and just helps facilitate. She's always like, whatever you need, you know and, and helping to get other people from Anomaly involved which has been great. But then outside of that, she just is someone that i instantly look up to because one she's also you know asian american which uh goes a long way again in terms of feeling like you have some sort of shared experience and background and can relate on that level but also she's you know this fee- like badass female leader who is just so down to earth and like real about things when you talk with her. um, She's kind of like the least CEO-y CEO. And I feel like she would tell you too, she'd be like, I don't feel like a CEO, you know? I'm just kind of doing this job that I really enjoy and helping grow this office. And, um, and then from like a personal perspective too, she, you know, she's, she'll, she'll throw in like the life advice as well as someone who, you know, has been there and has, has that experience. And so that's been really wonderful to turn, you know, people I've just met through the podcast or through running we into more kind of long-term relationships and and mentors. So I always joke that my network is so much better now than it, is, than it was when I was working. Maybe that's kind of unfortunate for me because I didn't leverage it when I was actually in the industry, but, but it's been, yeah, it's been a great way to, to meet people who, you know, continue to have
2: an influence on my life. That's awesome. That's awesome.
0: We really push mentorship here. So what, maybe is your to someone who says oh I, I don't know if i can be a mentor or you know the kind of that weird relationship or i'm too young to be a mentor what advice do you have to students here of the importance of mentorship and what that can do to an environment
1: yeah so i firmly believe that anyone can be a mentor and i can give a couple examples One, if you are junior talent, let's say you're like a year, you're, you're, we've been working full time, you're maybe a year or two in, and oftentimes your first taste of mentorship will be when an intern gets brought on, right on your team. And so suddenly there's someone younger than you, but you still feel like, well, I'm still just starting out. Like, what do I know? But even that base understanding of how an agency functions, kind of the day-to-day workings that an intern, you know, has to learn along the way, even sharing that and kind of just being a resource for the intern. Um, we, at Firstborn, we used to set up interns with junior talent, so they'd have you, you know, a boss. Like I would manage their work and oversee, you know, projects and stuff. But they would also have someone, and it was usually, you know, someone who was an intern before because they understand what that experience is like. Be their sort of go-to person to answer any questions that they have those first couple of weeks, you know, be, you know, a lunch buddy at the beginning and really just be sort of almost like an emotional lightning rod, because there are certain things that you may not feel as an intern comfortable going straight to your very, very senior boss and talking about, you know, as much as we'd like to encourage that. Um, So having someone who has just been there and understands like what your experience as an intern is like to, you know, kind of support and counsel you through it, I think is invaluable. And so Whether or not it's that structured or you just kind of reach out to an intern that you're working with, I think that automatically makes you eligible to be a really powerful mentor. And the second example that I always give is I had an intern once on the strategy team at Firstborn who went to, you know, Parsons School of Design in New York before she came to us and she so she was like trained in design, but she was exploring strategy and she ran a workshop and schooled our whole team on how to make our decks more compelling and like visually communicative. So how do we take our insights and the points that we're trying to like really land in our pitch decks or our you know internal presentations and translate it? in a visual way and as an intern as an intern and obviously like she we gave her a platform to do so because we used to do like everyone run a workshop type thing but still she could have done that on her own too just because you know she saw I mean not that she was like oh your decks are ugly but like (laughs) like you know she had a skill that we didn't have because she had a differentiated background it's also a really great example of why if you have a different background, that your unique perspective, even if you don't have as much experience in whatever the team is doing, like that differentiated perspective and skill set was so valuable. And yeah, and she was an intern. And so there's always something I think we can bring and pass on to others, even if it's just our unique perspective. Like, did you grow up a certain way that's different from other people? And is that somehow helpful to the project or just, you know, what's going on in the agency? Um, So... I, I firmly believe that mentors don't have to be super, super, super senior. I think it's why I always encourage students to, yes, you can find someone who's senior, but also just reach out to people who are a couple years in. And yeah. I will say that I say this all the time on the podcast, but The people who come on our podcast or write for us who are within the first like five years of their career, like one to five years, their content is some of our most popular content because it is the most relevant to people who are just starting out versus someone who is like 15 years into their career. Like obviously that's very inspiring and aspirational and their senior perspective is, you know, valuable, but at the same time, it's a little bit removed from you know, what maybe someone would experience just starting out today. So, yeah, I'm such a huge proponent of not
0: only mentorship, but that
1: anyone at any level can be a mentor.
0: I love that. Well, I think we'll close with what do you have any last advice for the folks here that are going to be tuning in and listening as kind of these internship application seasons really kick off and are closing, you know, in the next few months? Um, What are some maybe encouraging words of advice we could we could close out on?
2: Yeah,
1: I would love to tell people that everyone hears no in their career, whether it's at the beginning, or in the middle or towards the end. Mm -hmm. Everyone hears no, um, whether it's no to a job, you know, you, you get passed on for that you you've applied and they're like, we're passing on you. And it's really what we do with the no's that define our career and that have a real influence on our career versus the fact that you heard no. And I can promise you that Later in your career, when you look back and it's so annoying to say this because you're like, well, I'm not later in my career. I'm right here (laughs) right now. And it feels really shitty. But um, later in your career, when you do look back and and hear this from every almost every podcast guest we talk to is that hearing no one is either like such a small blip that you don't even you don't even mention it anymore you're you all you talk about i mean when we talked about the start i didn't tell you like oh i applied twice to shia day and didn't get in like which is a reality but i did <laughs> not like that's part of my story now right yeah, yeah yeah or two sometimes the nose can be like a really amazing springboard and jumping off point to something better that you didn't even know was coming, whether it is again, an, um, an opportunity at an agency that you didn't hear about before or a company in a different side of the industry, but that ends up being, you know, the perfect fit for you and really helping to start you off on your career. So sometimes the nose beyond the nose, if you can get past the emotion of it and the frustration of it, like there's the potential for kind of like your best potentially your best stuff if you can get, get past the no's. And so I talk a lot about resilience. I talk a lot about bouncing back because again, I think it's such a necessary ingredient to work in advertising. Cause again, it's, this is an industry where you'll hear a lot of no's, and the people who do well and go far and have long careers are the ones that.
2: Okay. Next one. Yeah. Do
1: something productive with, yeah. with, yeah. With when they hear, no, yeah. not to say it doesn't suck, but it, it, it's just a reality. And knowing that everyone hears no, hopefully should be a comfort. It's not just you, even though it feels very singular. Mm -hmm. So yeah, don't, don't lose hope. It takes time. I've talked with people who like have been looking for like a year, literally, that sounds like such a long time after graduation. But as long as you're again, productively using that time so that when you interview, you're not just like, Oh, I've been looking for a whole year. Then people are like, Hmm. But if you're saying, in that year, here's what I've been doing, you know, and mm-hmm. here's how I've been c- continuing to grow as strategist, a creative, whatever. Here's the stuff I've been working on proactively. Here are my passion projects. Like here's what I've been doing in that time. It it ends up being sort of a non issue. So it's invaluable.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, Natalie, it's been an absolute pleasure. You're fabulous. Thank you for all the hard work you do. Um, You're inspiring to people in this room and and beyond in the school. Um, Follow Natalie on what are the social platforms people can follow? So I guess before social platforms, you can check out
1: we are next and all of its resources yes, at our website it's we-r-next.com i wish we could do it without the dashes i got some feedback from the user <laughs> feedback survey them, like, and it's like user feedback survey some people a couple of people were like maybe change your website so there's no dashes and i wish i could but You're the your like,
0: domain yeah the ur- <laughs> url
1: is taken so it's with dashes we-r-next.com by the way just with yeah. Nothing. Yeah. <laughs> i know i'm like come on do something with that um, and you can follow me on Twitter. So it's funny, the Twitter for both myself and we X, it's mostly where next content will be at Natalie, the letter Y and then Kim, my last name K I M. Um, on Instagram. We are next has its own channel. It's we are next underscore again, because we are next without the underscore was taken. <laughs> um, and then on LinkedIn as well, if anyone wants to connect with me there, especially if you're a student, I'm always down to connect. I do, have been doing much less kind of like one on one questions and answering i just want to like put that out there just because i feel really bad when people reach out to me with a specific question and i either can't respond or i'm like so busy or i forget and stuff like that most time i will answer like pointing you towards we are next content because chances are we've probably covered it in some capacity um but i'm definitely willing to you know just connect and um you know i publish a lot of content on linkedin especially around we are next too so if you just want to give a follow then
0: that'd be great Amazing. Well, thank you. Thank you so much um, to everyone who is considering coming to After Hours next week. We have the Rome team in to talk about um, how to tackle a brief and passion project. So that'll be super fun. Um, Again, thank you, Natalie. And we'll see you next time. Yeah, and congrats on our first podcast. First with our podcast, first members. I'm so honored. I'm so honored. Thank you guys so much for having
1: me. This is wonderful, and what again, what you've built is incredible. So you should be very proud. Thank, Thank you. So much.
2: Thank you. Ah, God. Okay. All <laughs> right. Well. Um, toodle everyone. Thank you for
0: listening. Thanks for listening. Bye.